Good morning, Advocate Musibi, and to your team. Good morning, Chair. Well, thank you very much. I can see you have a very big delegation. Um, but we can't hear you properly. Can you hear me now, sir? Your um, no, voice is not is not uh, to the quality we would want to have. Uh, can also assist, uh, our IT? Can you assist? Put the computer closer to me. Uh, am I am I audible now? We will have to strain our ears to hear you. Can we just give you two minutes to deal with your with your mic? Chairperson, uh, uh, I think Advocate Mutibi is a bit far away from his laptop. Maybe you should move closer to it. That is very close to me. Uh, morning, Chair. CI here. <coughs> um, Hello, Chair. Am I, am I audible? Yes. Am I audible enough now? Yes. No, you are. Okay. Take now we had a we had an additional speaker connected <coughs> to the computer. It looks like it was interfering with the with the uh, the, the sound. Okay. No, that's good. Now we can hear you. Honorable members, uh, good morning and welcome uh, to the delegation led by Advocate Mutibi of the SIU, who will be considering their strategic plan, their annual report, and their budgets for today. Uh, we will now hand over to the head of the SIU want to introduce his team and to take us through the the, the presentation. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Just to confirm if the honorable members and the chair can see the our presentation. No, we can't see it now. Shade. Uh, okay. Can you see now? No, we can't. We can't. Just one share. Yes, I was just saying that maybe you might want to remind them of the amount of time that they will have to, to present. Uh, can, can, can the presentation be seen now? Yes, we can see it now. Great. <laughs> Uh, no, thank you very see much. It now. Yes, before you start, uh, Advocate Motebe, with your introductions, um, we will give you 30 minutes to present, and that should cover the whole presentation, annual plan, strategic plan, a budget. Uh, it must be done within that 30 minutes. We can assure you that we have gone through your presentation. Okay. We Yes, so if you can confine yourself to that 30 minutes. We'll, we'll do so, Chair. 
Uh, Over to you. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and thank you very much to uh, honorable members. Um, with me in the room, uh, it's, the, it's, it's our EXCO team. Uh, we normally don't take the whole EXCO to, to the portfolio committee, but uh, uh, we thought they could also benefit by sitting in and observing and listening in. Uh, but uh, it's going to be myself presenting, uh, leading the presentation and the CFO uh, and the head of human capital uh, who, who will be uh, presenting. So the CFO is here, Mr. Andre Fernand, and uh, the head of human capital, uh, uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Neptune uh, Masumbuga. Um, and then there's a chief investigating officer, uh, Mr. Leonard Lecheto. And then uh, we've got our chief legal, uh, Jerome, Jerome Wells. And then we've got our head of strategy, Mr. Zipum Guli. We've got our head of IT, uh, Mrs. Uh, Dumel Ozwani. We've got Pranesh Maharaj, who's our head of uh, uh, portfolio program office. And then we've got uh, our chief audit executive, uh, Mrs. Boaratwa Lechope. Uh, am, am I missing anyone? Oh, Keza. Uh, we've got our chief communications head, uh, Keza Khanyam. And Tulani Mkungo, who's the head of risk. Thank you, Chair. Uh, without wasting time, I'll go on to uh, slide number. Uh, the, the first one is really our overview of our presentation. I'll go to slide number three, which uh, 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 outlines our legislative mandate. Slide, slide number four uh, also just indicates the institutional policies and the, uh, the MDP that we took into account, National Development Plan, and also the priority number five of the MDP, which is the social cohesion and safe communities. Uh, and we thought we would just mention to the committee that uh, the strategy that we have developed uh, and the APP is based on the growth that we are uh, heading for based on the previous strategy that we have implemented. Uh, so to date, we have defined the SIU value chain and operating model. We have accelerated the conversion of allegations into proclamations. Uh, we've also established the functionality uh, for uh, corruption, maladministration and malpractice prevention through education, data analytics, and scenario analysis. We have standardized the manner in which cases are scoped. We've also improved the quality and turnaround times of our investigations. We've also expanded on the monitoring and evaluation of case management. Uh, we work is also underway now uh, for the long-term financial stability uh, of the SIU in terms of the SIU funding model. Uh, we've created the advisory capacity to prevent reoccurrence of corruption, maladministration, and malpractice in conjunction with state institutions. Uh, we're now continuing with the monitoring of the implementation of our uh, remedial actions 
be it the reference to MPA, reference to state institutions for disciplinary processes, uh, and also referrals for recovery to the to the special tribunal. Uh, we've also drafted uh, and proposed legislative amendments, which we are currently in, in engagement with, with the Department of Justice. We've also overall improved our governance uh, uh, environment. So, Chair and, and Honorable Members, we believe that uh, this lays a solid foundation uh, because we believe that the strategy should always evolve and deepen. So in deepening and evolving our strategy, in the next strategic uh, uh, period of the next five years, there are a few uh, focus areas that over and above implementing the previous strategy. We are going to now also uh, focus on uh, uh, developing a focused communication strategy. This is on slide number six. Uh, a focused legal strategy, which includes the optimization of the special tribunal. Uh, so uh, at the moment, and I do have the the, this, the, the number of uh, cases that we have uh, referred to the special tribunal, I'll mention to that later on. We are also going to improve our remuneration strategy, also improve the data analytics strategy. We are also going to improve our ICT strategy and performance management uh, strategy. Slide number five, uh, I won't, uh, number seven, sorry, I won't go through that in detail. It just really outlines our uh, operational framework, which uh, outlines our core functions, core functional areas, and our core responsibility. I will not uh, belabor that uh, to, the, to the committee. We've, uh, we've presented this before. Again, similarly with our vision, as we prepared the new strategy, we are collectively of the view that the vision that we have created, which indicate, which states that SIU to be a preferred and trusted anti-corruption forensic investigation and litigation agency, it's still relevant. Uh, because we would like to create an environment where the state institutions, uh, as a first port of call, look to state agencies, in particular SIU, uh, and that of values uh, that we have to adhere to as we do our work. Uh, on the situational analysis, Chair and, and Honorable Members, I'll also not go into detail. Uh, support uh, government, in particular the sixth administration, in the fight against corruption. Uh, we have also identified uh, some of the external relating to the escalation of corruption that requires us also to strengthen our measures. So, amplified. Uh, the next situational analysis in what uh, other institutions out there have conducted. Uh, we just indicate in there in terms of the perception survey that was conducted in 2019. Generally, it just shows that uh, uh, the, the public is still very much concerned about the levels of corruption 
and that is really an indictment on us to make sure that uh, we strengthen our environments and ensure that we, we, we execute with precision. The other external environment that we have looked at is the Auditor General's reports that also continue to show that uh, uh, there's an increase in irregular expenditure, uh, unauthorized expenditure and wasteful expenditure. Uh, and, and where we come in, and we do have a memorandum of understanding with the Auditor General, but over and above the memorandum of understanding, uh, the, 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 the newly enacted Public Audit Act uh, enables the Auditor General to refer matters to us. So as part of looking at this irregular expenditure and unauthorized, we are then inducted to uh, engage with the Auditor General and see where our services could be used to attend to that. Uh, the next slide, number 12, also speaks to the external environment, again in particular what the Auditor General has, uh, has, has identified. Um, uh, what we are observing there is that there's, there's, there's uh, big numbers that continue to show around unfair, and, uh, unfair procurement processes. So in the procurement space, uh, the Auditor General is pointing uh, quite uh, a number of uh, irregular irregularities. And we can also confirm that as we assess our investigations, uh, about almost about 80 to 85% of our investigations are procurement uh, based. So we will continue to look into that space. Slide number 13. Uh, we've also looked at the political environment. I will not uh, uh, belabor that, that point. I'll go to the next slide, which uh, speaks to the economic factors. Uh, the economic factors, actually, to summarize, uh, Chairperson, is that uh, we continue to, uh, to, to read uh, from the National Treasury publications and from the IMF publications and just, just generally uh, publications out there which continue to show uh, that the, the economies of the world are really uh, compressed and in fact uh, now COVID-19 makes it even even worse. We've, we've, we've heard that our, our national treasury also projects some contraction and that's going to have a huge uh, implication uh, in terms of uh, the escalating uh, maladministration, corruption and malpractices. Uh, the other situational analysis, we've looked at uh, the United Nations Development Program, which also puts uh, women uh, at the forefront of their research. Uh, their research tells us that uh, uh, there's, there's a bit of gender uh, 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 issue to be considered in terms of how corruption uh, affects, uh, impacts on, on, on women. We've studied that, that report and we made sure that uh, it's incorporated in our in how we do and focus our our cases um on the on, on, on the legal factors and again i will not belabor this point it's something that's uh, really known but just to just to uh, emphasize that uh, um when in in our in our recommended amendments uh, to the legislation uh, we are seeking to really improve on the on, the, on, on our legislation generally, but also the pre-proclamation part. Uh, that really uh, needs some attention, because when we receive allegations, uh, uh, we need that uh, uh, statutory support to be able to go in quickly uh, so that the, the complainants 
can see that we are activating our powers even at that stage. At the moment, we have to just go in and assess, but with legislative uh, support. But we're looking at that generally as part of our uh, amendments. Um, honorable Chair and Honorable Members, our programs uh, on slide number 17, our programs are administration, investigations, uh, and legal counsel, and also we have now included uh, in, in the previous strategy, and we're continuing with that, market data analytics and the prevention. We thought we would add this slide, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members, just to for the members to see the overview of the uh, proclamation uh, view uh, in terms of the, the ones that are ongoing and the ones that we are expecting that are in the pipeline. Uh, we are showing those uh, uh, just so that uh, the committee could see that as we have put out our resources, we have taken into account the business that, uh, that's on hand and that's also likely to come our way. So we're showing in terms of local government, provincial government, national and state-owned entities. Uh, Honourable Chair, you can see that uh, on the state-owned entities, uh, the, 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 the bar chart still is, is still a bit short. Uh, uh, so, so we are working very closely to ensure that uh, what we have observed is that the state-owned entities more often outsource the investigations to private, uh, to private companies. But uh, when we receive allegations, we obviously do uh, take them into account and, uh, and, and those are the proclamations that we have received. Uh, for, for state-owned entities. The overall number of the, of the proclamations, uh, including the ones that are in the pipeline, is about 86. And by 86, Honorable Chair, it's just a proclamation. Within a proclamation, you have a number of uh, investigations. Uh, as we show later on, uh, as an example, uh, in, uh, in, in the last financial year, we finalized about 1,300 uh, investigation focus areas uh, in, in various proclamations. Um, the next slide really just talks about our unique offering that differentiates us from our peers. Uh, the unique offering that we really show out there is the civil litigation capability. And when we spoke to our colleagues now, uh, when uh, we met uh, as part of the ACTT, just to make sure that we improve on our integration process, uh, especially now with the with the uh, complaints that we are receiving allegations on the COVID-19 relief funds, uh, we have come together and made sure that uh, between ourselves, MPA and HOCS, we are able to optimize the use of the SIU civil litigation process. Uh, so that's that's the unique offering that we really um, want to make sure that uh, we we optimize on, uh, and that's going to end up with the recovery of uh, stolen money and assets. The next slide, slide number 20, is around the, the, the outcomes. Uh, uh, we've got the outcomes that are in our strategy. Uh, the first one is to be a compliant and high-performance SIU that is well-capacitated to reach society of corruption, maladministration, and fraud in state institutions. Outcome number two uh, is that we want to protect the state assets and cash resources from maladministration, fraud, corruption, and the realization of full value for money for state uh, uh, program. Uh, number three, we want to obviously make, ensure that uh, there's confidence in governance systems, structures, and policies uh, of the state. 
uh, as we continue to do our work. Number four, uh, we want to also contribute on the prevention side, the preventative mechanisms to, 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 to prevent the uh, reoccurrence of maladministration, malpractice, and, uh, and, and corruption. On the left-hand side, it's really just the outputs uh, that, we, that we look to. Uh, number, uh, for example, on outcome number two, we're estimating that in the next five years, we should be able to have collected about 10 billion uh, with the optimization of the of this uh, uh, civil civil litigation and the um, and the special tribunal. Uh, we not, uh, this this is now uh, the end of the strategic overview. Uh, and as I said, we are really building on on what we have put in place. The new strategy. The the we haven't changed our organizational structure. It still remains the same. We are at the stage now where we saying. SIU just needs to be capacitated and resourced appropriately with the appropriate skills so that we can react appropriately to the allegations that we receive, we receive and at an appropriate speed. Um, so so uh, building on that, on that strategy, we now go into the uh, uh, annual performance plan. Uh, before we, we go on to the annual performance plan, we thought we'd just uh, give us a quick uh, overview of our assessment of the impact of COVID-19 on our strategy and our APP. Generally, uh, the, we do not see a fundamental change uh, in our in our strategy and, P and APP as a result of the um, of the of the COVID-19. Uh, but slide num that slide that uh, that we are showing slide number 22. Uh, as I said, we have received allegations of corruption related to COVID-19 related relief funds and uh, uh, again is non-compliance with the PFMA and other related regulations on the procurement side. Uh, there's matters that we are handling on our own as SIU but as I said earlier on we have now uh, come together as ACTT just to enable the integration so that we deal with these matters uh, efficiently. Um, the impact on operations and plan targets, um, we're just really seeing a time time lag. I think that it, there's a typo there, Honorable Chair and members, is not lag, it lag, should be LAG. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are observing that there might be a time lag simply because uh, our officials, uh, we were not specifically mentioned as an essential service, but we, we, we did some work in between but generally, most of our employees um, uh, were, were, were at home as directed through the regulations. Uh, and most of the state institution uh, officials were also not available for us to continue with the investigation. But uh, I had a meeting with the, all the provincial heads in this week. We are have a plan once uh, uh, the lockdown is, uh, is, is, is uh, uh, toned down to to the level where, where we can really uh, interact with state institutions. We've also uh, realized an, a, a related point, is the next one which says, um, in this period, we really could not invoice uh, as we were supposed to. Uh, the, next, the next slide really just indicates what we have done, uh, because we're now uh, preparing on the return to work. Uh, and then we've done a whole lot of work. We've got the BCM committee that's working on all of this. We're ensuring that the, the PPEs are in place. 
Uh, we are also implementing the staggered return of employees. Uh, we are also developing a work from home protocol. Uh, we're also working in, uh, with, with experts in, this, in, the, in the health industry to make sure that uh, we, are, we are not out of line. We are cleaning our offices. We're making sure that those vulnerable employees above 60 and those with other uh, comorbidities uh, are also taken care of. We're ensuring that uh, uh, we've got a screening protocol. Floor plans are reconfigured to make sure that the physical distance is, is observed. And then we generally want to enable our employees with the ICT equipment so that they can be able to work from home. Um, Chair, the next slide uh, uh, talks to the budget. Uh, I'm going to pause here and just to allow the CFO to run quickly through the, through the numbers. Thank you very much. You now have 12 minutes. Yes. Chair, sure, thank you. Um, I'm not going to go through the detail while the slide is read. I'll just concentrate on the graphs. This uh, this slide depicts, uh, this is slide 25, depicts the the sources of income, just the composition thereof. And you would see on the left-hand uh, top corner, the grant allocation that we're expecting is 452 million, which makes up 55% of the income. Then in terms of the SIU Act, as you know, we invoice for our services. That makes up uh, the 40%, 331 million. And then there's uh, smaller interest and other revenue, about 5%. On the expense side, um, the majority being the SIU, our, our, our assets, our resources and our HR resources, making up 72% of the expenditure, 594 million, is the compensation of employees. Others are goods and services, 204 million, 25%, which is mainly office rental, travel expenses, and other smaller admin expenses, depreciation, on the fixed assets, 23 million, making up 3%. And then the split in the allocation of our programs is the main program takes up, uh, makes up 72%, almost 600 million, the investigations and the legal counsel as it relates to the special tribunal. Administrative back, back end and support, 24%, uh, 199 million. And then our new program on the prevention and data analysis side, 27 million, making up 3%. Um, in terms of the actual versus medium term expenditure, we ended up in terms of the actuals on just under 600 million for the 1920 year. And then you will see we're steadily growing um, through the MTF period. And the main reason for the growth, uh, Chair and colleagues, are the, um, are the human resources, the buildup in, in human resources. This is the buildup in the headcount. We currently, we ended with 516. Um, this is slide 27 going then up to 630, 722, and 750. And the, the reason for the growth is really to meet the increased demand in the proclamations and the related investigative work. I think that concludes um, from here. It's just the human capital. We'll hand over to our chief human capital officer. Okay. Good afternoon, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members and my colleagues. Um, I take the report as read. Um, in line with the MTF presented, I'm sure you would have seen the numbers. Um, let me quickly jump into the employment equity numbers. We have made um, a reasonable progress in terms of um, representation of women, as was uh, discussed in the previous portfolio committee. 
would like to then share with you that there is indeed a 7% representation of women at management levels. We are intending to um, employ and achieve a 2% uh, for um, disabilities or people with disabilities, apologies, through our recruitment processes. We've had some delays uh, due to the engagements with, with labor, which of course is viewed as our one of our key stakeholders. Um, those engagements have taken us a bit long um, until October sometime, and recruitment has now um, begun since late um, in the year. We are hoping to accelerate recruitment in this financial year. Um, at this stage, we have even gone uh, so far as advertising eight positions with the Department of Labor to attract people with disabilities. Um, and this will, of course, become part and parcel of the year um, in question 2020-2021. Um, learning and development. Um, the previous year, we have, we have implemented a forensic investigator program which uh, housed about 45 um, learners at the beginning of the program. At, um, at some point, we've had two dropouts. However, we have um, gone through a very good program that, um, of course, um, has now ended in April. Due to the lockdown, we have now extended um, that, uh, that the, the stay of the learners purely because we are intending to, to employ these learners within SIU. Its main objective uh, was not only to provide the skills towards um, uh, in relation to forensic investigation, it was also to build a pipeline within the SIU. Um, I want to jump um, because I'm considering time. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, thank you, Honourable Chair. I uh, realised that uh, I've got five, six minutes. Um, the, the, the next slides, uh, slides uh, 20, slides number 30, uh, up to up to the last one, they really go into details on the actual targets. Um, again, I'm not going to go through them uh, in detail. Slide number 30, uh, you'll see the the focus is on the governance of the organization. We would like to make sure that we maintain the clean audit. Uh, of course, as you see, when the years go by, we the, the, the minimum is, unquali is unqualified audit, but we want unqualified audit with no with no material findings. with no material findings, which is uh, normally referred to as clean audit. And then we want to also mature our risk management environment uh, as defined by the National Treasury. The next slide, uh, uh, we would like to make sure that we continue to submit to our to our minister and uh, that we submit on time the strategy and the APP. Uh, and uh, we also at the bottom there uh, saying we want to fill the vacancies that we have because we can only do our work appropriately when we are appropriately resourced with appropriate skills. Uh, at the moment, as the human capital officer said, we had a bit of a, a, a delay due to uh, engagements with the trade unions, but we have since beyond that. Now we are going to fast track our, our resourcing process. Um, the next slide um, uh, is really just around implementation of the stakeholder uh, uh, survey and recommendations. We want to continuously 
meet the stakeholder expectations. And we talk about all, all stakeholders, uh, uh, internal stakeholders and external stakeholders, including our shareholders, including the, uh, uh, the portfolio committee, uh, so that we continue to, to, to show that uh, uh, we, we, we perform and perform well. Uh, our ICT environment requires improvement. We are going to focus on that as well. Slide 33, uh, it's the potential value of the cash recoveries, the, uh, the, the, those two items there. They indicate the cash recoveries that we want to uh, recover, and, th and those would, uh, in the main, be through our civil litigation process. You see that there's a steady increase uh, because we believe now, now that we've got a special tribunal, uh, there is no excuse uh, in terms of ensuring that uh, we, we we recover with with uh, we, we've split the recovery. The sound uh, the is, the sound is very bad. Okay, uh, can you can you hear me now? Hello. Hello, honourable chair. I was saying the sound is very bad. We can't hear you properly. Okay. Um, Am I audible now? Uh, now I've got a few minutes left. Yes, you are. Okay, thanks. Uh, the next slide, 34, is still around the recoveries okay. as well. Uh, the recoveries, we are going to improve them using the special tribunal. Uh, and then the next slide, slide number 35, are around various of our outcomes, referrals for disciplinary, referrals to the prosecuting authority, and also a number of investigations closed. Uh, again, the next slide is around uh, matters in respect of which we refer for, for civil litigation. We are also in, uh, instituting a, a, an increase into those areas. Slide number 37 uh, is around the prevention uh, uh, work that we want to do and systemic improvements that we want to recommend to state institutions. Um, uh, the next slide is really around a still around market data analytics. We want to make sure that uh, internally, when allegations are reported, we can track each and every one of them until proclamation. Uh, the next, the, this is probably the last slide. Uh, this, is, this is the slide which indicates the risks that we have, we have assessed the, 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 the strategy that we are presenting, and we have done a risk assessment on it in terms of what is it that really can uh, threaten the non-achievement of our strategy. Um, Chair, this, as I said, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we are really uh, saying we are on track in executing the previous uh, strategy that we presented to the portfolio committee. Now we are improving the, the, the strategy we're presenting today is mainly around improvement and ensuring that there's resourcing of the organization. We would like to obviously operate within the budget and that should give us the performance that we require and make the impact that is expected of the special investigating unit. Thank you very much. No, thank you very much, Advocate MTV, and to your team. Let me welcome the following members, uh, Honorable Ndlozi, who has joined us, Honorable Janji, uh, you are all welcome. Honorable members, I will now uh, allow questions, input, comments from members. Uh, can I note, members? Um, Secretary, can you remove the, the presentation so that I can be able to see members? 
chairperson, the SI, you must remove it. Yes, okay. Yeah, but then on the yes. side, there's a, there's a message, there's a message from uh, Honorable Hendricks. Uh, he wants to ask a question as well. Okay. Can I note members who wants to ask questions? Honorable Hendricks. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chair. I really appreciate uh, this uh, opportunity. Uh, there has been a lot of concerns about this unit and its ability to protect the country. And uh, the resources that they have uh, now put on the table gives us a lot of hope. However, I'm a bit disappointed in that I don't hear anything about resources relating to artificial intelligence, resources relating to robotics, and resources relating to the Internet of Things, where I know in other countries uh, that is being used to do the kind of work that this unit is uh, supposed to do. But uh, we are very encouraged. We also feel that the, the unit needs to keep an eye and protect our members of parliament as, uh, as well. Um, and um, myself, for example, my parliamentary email has been hacked. So we need assurance that, uh, you know, we are in good hands. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairperson, your, your microphone is on mute. Lendrath, can you repeat? Uh, we lost you when we were talking about artificial intelligence. Can you repeat from artificial intelligence so that they can be able to understand your question? Uh, yes, Mr. Chairman. I was very impressed with the resources that the unit now has been available, have available to carry out their mandate. Uh, however, uh, I feel that there is something lacking. We haven't heard much about the resources relating to artificial intelligence, resources relating to robotics. I don't see a robot sitting there in their team. I'm referring to uh, uh, resources relating to Internet of Things, which I know other similar units all over the world are, are using, and we don't hear that in the presentation. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, I have the following members. Honorable Velma Nivot Drachens, followed by Honorable Swart, followed by Honorable Glennis Breitenbach, followed by Honorable Hon, uh, welcome Honorable Hon, and followed by Honorable Maseko Chele, in that order. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and greetings to all the Honorable Members, as well as to the team from SIU. Thank you for your presentation. I am Wilma Newhood-Bruchen. In relation to employment equity targets, how have you covered that to ensure that the employment equity targets are implemented or merged into your Honorable Nibbut, uh, we can't hear you at all. You can't hear. Can IT assist? 
Uh, can we move to Honorable Swartibhintan? Can you hear the interpreter now? Chair, can you hear the interpreter now? Any response? Can anybody hear the interpreter? I can't hear you at all. You can see the interpreter, but you can't. Yes. Can the other members hear the interpreter? Can we continue? May I yes. continue, Che? Yes, continue. Okay. But can you, no, can you start from the beginning? Not yes, starting from the beginning regarding employment equity targets. So how is that being mainstreamed into all your programs? And then secondly, I see the vacancies um, and it's not the 10%, it's, it's more than 10%. And how will you plan to reduce that figure? And in terms of ICT, it has become very important during this time of COVID-19. And how are you planning to improve your ICT strategy? Because in slide three, oh, sorry, interpreter's mistake, in slide 13, you said it's one of the risks. You identified it as one of, as one of your risks. So how do you plan to improve or to mitigate the challenge related to ICT? And in slide 28, I see the schedule. There is no mention of people with disabilities. So I'm then assuming that there is none, so not even 1%. So I just want to verify that. Are you still going to proceed with recruitment of people with disabilities? And my following question, in your training, the training that you provide for specialized skills, do you have that training and are they included are people with disabilities included in that specialized training? And particularly during this time of COVID-19, what are your health and safety protocols? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Um, Honorable Swart. Honorable Swart. Honorable Swartz. Can I move to Honorable Dennis Breitenbach? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Good morning. Um, yeah, I'd like a, a little bit more information, please, on how the SIU is dealing with the um, with the ramifications of the of the COVID virus, the lockdown, and going forward into the future, how is this going to affect their operations, and how what plans do they have in place to mitigate uh, these issues that are going to be arising? Uh, how are they going to 
carry out um, investigations um, under the current conditions. And then I'd also um, like to know how they're progressing with collecting money that's outstanding to them from various government departments. Uh, I'd like to know how uh, they're always having trouble making uh, those collections. Uh, I'd like to know if they're making any progress with, um, with getting any money in. And then finally, I'd like to know uh, what progress they're making with the tribunal. We know about the Likabe case, but um, uh, how is the tribunal operating? How many cases have been enrolled? And have other um, institutions um, attempted to make use of this facility? Thank you. Thank you very Check. much. Check. Is Honourable Yes, we yes. can hear you. I'm sorry. Thank you very much, Jeb. I unmuted, but I am online now. May I just also thank you, Chair, and greet Advocate Matiba and his team. As you know, I'm one of your greatest fans. And in fact, the finance minister said that he has heard the ACDP in our pleas for more funding for the SIU. Now, my concern, as uh, Advocate Breitenbach has indicated, is your efficiency during this COVID-19 period. And in particular, we're fully aware, and you alluded to the fact that we have got uh, procurement issues. We know that with the emergency procurements, there have been financial deviations from the financial treasuries. And I would like to know how you're able to work with other law enforcement operations, to particularly pre the pre-proclamation part, which I understand is a challenge, but it is critically necessary that because of the amounts, we're talking about 500 billion rand that has been largely borrowed from overseas, what you're able to do to quickly look into those aspects and to bring them as far as you can to the tribunals. I would also like to ask about the operation of the tribunals, particularly now, whilst the courts are not sitting, how we can assist you and are you engaging with the Chief Justice to enable you to recover funds that are being stolen. And then I would like to ask you about your funding model at this stage. According to your slides, you said you're not able to invoice uh, uh, departments. Obviously, your workload is lessening. What impact will that have on your budget? And of course, considering that all departments are going to have a budget cut with the adjustment appropriation, what impact will that have on your work? Your work is critical, critical to collect funds, and you estimate 10 billion. I th we all know it's far larger than that but that is commendable. So I'm very concerned that you are to lift uh, your game to be, and it's, uh, can, I, can you just explain this issue about not being an essential service? I understand with the lockdown provisions, you might've been limited in your capabilities, but clearly you should be an essential service to do all your operations as much as you can with the health hygiene protocols in place. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, um, Honorable Horn. Honorable Swart, can you mute your mic? Thank you. Honorable Horn? Uh, can we move to Honorable Maseko Chele? Thank you, Chaperson. Uh, hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. 
Okay, thank you, Chairperson. And then also thank you to the uh, uh, Advocate Mutibi and the team. Uh, Chairperson, I have a few questions to Advocate Mutibi and the teams. Uh, the first one is I'm looking at the report of the Auditor General and then also the perception survey. When I was looking at those two reports, I just picked up that uh, corruption has increased, Chairperson. And uh, I'm worried because we are trying to fight corruption and it, 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 it's increasing daily. And I, I just want to, to know because when I check also, the, uh, there is this, uh, the unauthorized expenditure, which remains high, and also the wasteful expenditure. So those are the things, are, those are the core responsibilities of your committee of the advocate that we need to eradicate that. Why is it that that is not going down? It's not going. Um, I just want to find out how is your relationship, in fact, what is it that uh, the, uh, are you getting joy on the courts in helping fighting corruption? Uh, my interest, Chairperson, is on the issue of punishment of these criminals. Criminals. These criminals. I, I should think that maybe we also look must look at the punishment. Maybe the punishment that we mute, mute on these people is very lenient. And it causes people not to even fear, because I'm not sure that these are new cases. These are the same people who are sitting there, relaxed, doing their own things. So can advocate assist us to just to check if maybe there's a, there's a, 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 a weak link somewhere, especially I think on the issue, if I can have his comment on the issue of punishment. And then also, Chairperson, uh, I was watching one of the committees where there was a report about the, the corruption. I, I think it's COCTA, if I'm not mistaken, where they were reporting and also the NPA was reporting. And I was so amazed to see that uh, the people, I don't know whether, it, even if it will help us to have a, tri a tribunal, it's good to have it, but if we can't recover the assets or the money that has been stolen, I think the exercise that we are having might be futile. I would love to hear advocate, uh, advocate uh, uh, giving us maybe some insight in, 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 in terms of that, because there was somewhere where I had some people are being given punishment, maybe three years in jail for huge amount, three years in jail. And uh, if you're not uh, 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 in jail, you can pay a fine of a certain amount and very low amount. So I'm, I'm very worried that that is going to hamper the work of the tribunal. So if we can look into that one. So also, I see where advocate uh, in your, also your uh, analysis, situation analysis, situational analysis, 
where you are saying, uh, maybe I, I don't know if maybe I hear you properly, but it's, it, to me, it's like you are proposing uh, that we must have more of commissions of inquiry. If you can help you help me on that one, because I'm interested. If you are going, we are, we are, we are going to, you are going to want us to assist you to have those commissions or what, whatever. But if you can make a comment on also on that one, and then also, uh, chairperson, it is the issue of the ICU is acknowledging that indeed there is a a huge public outcry and also the expectation in in dealing with the these issue the issue of corruption uh, for for them to hold the wrongdoers accountable i want to know if maybe are the is the public also would want to have these commissions that he they, they, are, they are proposing up the chairperson. And then also, I would love to hear the comments here, chairperson, that, that this corruption is really impacting on the vulnerable ones, especially women, children, and the disabled. We have had lots of orphans crying outside saying that they don't get their monies in fact they cry too much of the lawyers that it seems as if i don't know it's an allegation i might be wrong but i'm hearing them saying that that it seems as if the lawyers are not treating them uh, correctly or they are eating their monies in a simple term in a simple language that is used in the in in in, in, in our places can we also be given a report? Because last time I remember there was a report about some lawyers who are involved in corruption. And also just to hear how much are we doing in that area up to this far? Are we winning in order to catch these criminals? Because if our, even within our justice, we still have corrupt people how are we going to win this battle of corruption? Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Honorable Hon, are you back? We seem to have lost him. Um, Advocate Mutebe, um, the money is owed to you by state institution in your report it is estimated to be now at 500 million rands is that correct and you have also uh, okay well it, it's about 420 at year end uh, chairperson because we have okay. seen some some payments from the state institutions but okay. i will respond to that okay okay and then can you also explain this unavailability of presiding officers because you have also uh, flagged it as a risk 
uh, in this uh, um, tribunal the unavailability of presiding officers. If you can explain to us what do you mean. And in your strategic plan, you have also said that you will strengthen the fight against corruption and fraud in the private sector. How are you going to do that? And then under your performance uh, management system, you are indicating that for the first time you have introduced performance management for the executives for 2020-2021. Is that correct? And if that is correct, what has been happening before that? Thank you. Can you answer those questions and the questions answered by asked by honorable members? Uh, honorable chair, just to uh, check whether we whether I am audible enough. You are very audible. Thank you. Um, just to start off with the question of the honorable member around the issue around uh, artificial intelligence, uh, Internet of Things, robotics. Um, so as part of our uh, ICT strategy, uh, we've really taken into account that uh, the, the, the world has changed uh, and digitization is upon us. So, so we have included in our ICT strategy that we need to uh, improve our environment such that we take into account uh, the improvements in the ICT. So that would include issues like data analytics, uh, empowering our members uh, to also uh, work from home uh, in terms of the, um, the uh, well, laptops are, are, are obvious tools, but we'd like to create an environment such that we enable the, the investigators as well, uh, so that uh, uh, when they analyze uh, the, the allegations and they do their investigative methods, uh, we should be able uh, to, to do that effectively. The other area is the cyber analytics, uh, which is also related to ICT. Uh, our, our cyber uh, analytics environment, they have also identified a few needs that they have. Uh, we have benchmarked with other peers uh, internationally uh, and in Africa. Uh, we, we have realized that uh, uh, our, our cyber analytics uh, requires uh, some some improvement. So 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 the the response to the question is that we did take uh, uh, that into account. Um, the issues of uh, uh, artificial artificial intelligence, uh, the robotics. It's really the one that perhaps uh, we need to just see how 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 they can really uh, assist us uh, in our uh, investigation methods. We haven't really yet given, uh, given a thought on the robotics in particular. But we take that into account, uh, and then we will obviously seek uh, uh, ICT expertise to make sure that where robotics can assist us, uh, we, we, we should uh, leverage on that. The Honorable Member mentioned issues around protecting the members 
those computers have been hacked. Uh, uh, I, I think uh, that that part in in in, in government, um, uh, although the uh, committee could probably direct it directly to the state security agency, we can also facilitate uh, that uh, there has been this issue raised. But it would probably uh, be appropriate that uh, the state security agency uh, be be approached uh, so that uh, the protection of members is taken into account. The issue around employment equity, uh, we, we, we have included into our employment equity plan uh, that uh, we, we really need to improve uh, on the disability uh, and, and, and continue to improve on the appointment of women at the executive level and uh, senior management level in general. So the plan that we have, and we have uh, submitted it to Labour, uh, that includes uh, those, uh, those, those statistics. But the Honourable Member mentions the issue around uh, disability. At the last appearance, we did undertake that we will include that in our plan. We report today that uh, we will, uh, uh, as we now kick off with the recruitment process, we will ensure that uh, we also recruit disabled uh, uh, people. Uh, uh, as, as we said uh, previously, uh, that we would like to also make sure that the workplace is configured such that when we do recruit the disabled, we don't recruit them to an environment that is not disabled uh, or disability friendly. So we do have that uh, in, our, in our plan, slide number 26. Although the percentage is probably still minimal, uh, we're aiming at 2% increase. Um, uh, so, so we might uh, look at uh, increasing the percentage uh, going forward. Um, how in ICT, how are you planning to improve? Uh, the ICT, I think I've already in, uh, indicated, uh, we, we have included specifically as part of the targets over the five years. Uh, we would like to make sure that uh, we improve our ICT in environment. Um, on the training, uh, our training environment uh, do, yes, take into account if we appoint disabled people, uh, uh, be it deaf or those who cannot see or properly, um, we have to make sure that there's tools that are available to assist them to do their work. Like if it's, uh, uh, if, if it's people that require uh, assistance with Braille or any other kind of uh, assistance, we need to make sure that we are ready for that. Uh, so our training environment will have to take that into account. Uh, Honorable uh, uh, Reitenbach, the, we have taken into account the COVID-19 impact. Uh, that slide that we, that we presented, and yes, uh, at the moment, uh, it's really still a, a bit of a challenge, and this also overlaps with the question by Honorable uh, Swart in terms of why is it uh, that we were not uh, declared essential service. Um, the, 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 the schedule to the to the regulations to lockdown number five were finalized. And um, when we took the matter up, uh, the regulations were, were out already. 
but we continue to make sure that uh, uh, we are we are acknowledged as essential service so what we did was that uh, we would issue our members with the permits uh, when we require them to to do to do the work an example as an example is that uh, the Houghton government the premier uh, requested SIU services and that we did on a secondment basis uh, when there was there were allegations of a 30 million e-government contract we immediately contacted our members we issued appropriate permits uh, that enabled them to do the work and that uh, that created an environment where we could continue to do our work and that work was done is completed within two weeks we have submitted the report to the to, to the premier i'm sure um, at an appropriate time you'll see the, the the reports coming out on the on the good work we did there so so in terms of uh, going forward with with the covid 19 uh, uh, it's ready to make sure that uh, uh, we enable our employees firstly uh, we have issued each one of them uh, with the, obviously with a laptop uh, we've made sure that we give them uh, remote connectivity uh, so we also make sure that uh, when there's a need uh, to have a contact interview with witnesses uh, it's also structured in such a way that we we observe the regulations so so and and we also as as a team we were saying we need to also think uh, in a in, in a way that would not de uh, delay our investigations uh, such that uh, when there's a need to interview a witness uh, who's probably out of the province because of the travel restrictions uh, we should be able to do uh, a team's engagement with the with the with the uh, with, with the witness and uh, find a way of finalizing if we need an affidavit uh, uh, we could uh, refer them to our provincial offices uh, where we then finalize the affidavit of the witness and make sure that we get it uh, we get it uh, into the into the investigation uh, uh, file but generally uh, uh, really covid-19 as we uh, uh, hear all, all of us uh, to make sure that we are innovative and we just enable our our employees to to work to work remotely uh, and as effectively as possible um and the progress on debt collection i think uh, the, the the cfo will just uh, make a note i'd like him to give a concrete response on that we've seen some some payment coming through uh but again yes and this also just uh, talks to our funding model to a large extent in some instances we are investigating the institutions and we have to send the same invoice to the same institution that we are investigating uh, and that really uh, from a funding model perspective and that's what we have introduced uh, to the national treasury and we are continuing to engage with them on that that uh, is it not uh, does it not merit a review of the SIU funding model such that we don't depend on the payments from the state institutions. Uh, Honorable Bretonbach, uh, uh, the special tribunal, uh, we, we have really seen the special tribunal uh, enrollments 
really improving. As we speak today, we've got uh, 20 matters that have been enrolled uh, to the value of 2.1 billion. And uh, my legal, our legal team informs me that there are more, uh, 15 more cases in the pipeline that have been finalized, which will be enrolled in the next, uh, in the next few days. Uh, uh, we do engage with the tribunal president, Justice or Judge Makanya. Uh, they, they also issued some directives or uh, directions during the lockdown, uh, and that also delayed the work of the special tribunal a bit, but they've now since come back, they've reissued uh, uh, other directions, so the special uh, tribunal is going to now uh, start uh, uh, adjudicating on our cases. We are really um, uh, delighted to see this improvement. This is going to show the recovery that the public, the portfolio committee, honorable members want to see, and we are monitoring these cases such that they proceed uh, at, the, at the necessary speed. Uh, we have engaged with the with the uh, judge Justice uh, uh, Makanya and some of the judges. They have raised with us uh, at some point that uh, we need to make sure that from our side, uh, and we're working with the state attorney to make sure that we improve uh, the case administration part. Uh, but that part has since been addressed. So we are really looking forward to all these cases being adjudicated now, uh, Honorable Chair and members. So there shouldn't be any any delay going forward. Uh, Honorable Swart, on the, on the efficiency, uh, particularly relating to COVID-19, um, we have, we have uh, as I, as I went during my presentation, we have met as, uh, as ACTT to make sure that uh, we integrate our, our efforts. And what do I mean by that? For example, uh, in the pre-proclamation phase, and we have received a few reports. So uh, because we can only formally investigate once we have a proclamation, if we receive this uh, uh, allegations. I mean, our investigations team received uh, issues around parcel, food parcels, right? Uh, the food parcels, uh, allegations from somewhere around Hammanskral. Uh, so we immediately engaged Hawks, and the team is working closely with the Hawks. The case has been registered. We are making sure that we also monitor that space uh, so that it's addressed and addressed uh, uh, efficiently. But in the meantime, what we are doing, because of the number of allegations we've received, uh, while we ad address them with the hawks in the pre-proclamation phase as best we can, we also are pursuing a national proclamation. Uh, because there's now other, other, uh, other big ticket issues relating to procurement uh, that, that, we, that we are of the view that they need to be uh, looked at. We've received... Uh, uh, reports uh, around uh, KZN, we've received reports around uh, Eastern Cape, so we've included uh, those. Uh, and and another, another example of our employees working during lockdown, uh, the Department of Public Works, although they have indicated that the Auditor General is working on that, uh, they have also helped us, uh, called on us to second some of the members to assist them in looking into this Bait Bridge fence. So our members are seconded there, uh, and I know that, uh, they are, uh, that they are making good progress 
which will then result into a report which will be presented to public works. I'm mentioning all of this just to indicate that uh, um, our, our work has been going on, although uh, not in a, at a scale that we'd like to see because most of our members were at home, but uh, uh, we were able to address uh, most of the areas that we would like to that would like to address. Um, Honorable Sard, we have also asked around uh, the operations of the special tribunal. I think I've touched on that. We are seeing a real value added by this special tribunal, and the judges and the uh, tribunal president they are really ready and they are already case managing most of the cases that we have received. Uh, we are really seeing that. Uh, uh, it, it, it's bringing in an improvement. Uh, and there's also a point that I would like to make. We, have, we are interacting with the judge presidents of various divisions so that if at all possible, we could transfer some of the cases that are in the high court to the, to the special tribunal. But obviously there's legal rules that, uh, that uh, regulate that space. What we have agreed with the judge presidents is that because uh, some of the judges that are on the special tribunal are also in the high courts. So they will case manage these cases that are in the, in the high court. So we are really receiving a good, uh, a good uh, a service from that part. Um, the issue, I think I've addressed the issue of essential service. Uh, but just to add on that, when, when, the, lo when the lockdown was, was lowered now to level four, we have now actively uh, engaged with the team that was working on the regulations to say we need to be included uh, uh, into the regulations. And I'm glad to say that uh, through the acting DG of justice, we were able to be included in the directions uh, that, the, that the minister uh, has issued. Um, and there's, there's also, I'm informed that there's also some amendment that will be issued to the directions and they will also just amplify our inclusion uh, into the into the directions. Uh, so, so as we are now, we are just preparing the workplace in line with the regulations uh, for all our members to return uh, as, as envisaged uh, in the regulations. Firstly, making sure that the workplace is ready uh, and then making sure that we bring them back in phases. Uh, but again, uh, for example, uh, yesterday, uh, I had a focused meeting with the team that is looking at the master's, uh, master's investigation. Uh, and I'm mentioning just this so that the honorable members can see that uh, when we call on our members and we provide them with the permits that are required by the regulations, we are able to get them uh, to, to do the, the work that's required. Uh, I'm mentioning this cases, honorable chair and members, uh, bit by bit like this to demonstrate my point, but uh, 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 we, the Honorable Jailer referred to the issues around the lawyers. We, we, we presented to the committee uh, earlier in the year around our investigations on the state attorney, we, uh, the, the courts, the, the building of the courts. Um, uh, so so as we, we, are, we are in a position where uh, if the committee would permit, uh, we could uh, have a session where we give the, comi uh, the committee an update of, 
of the progress that we have made. We, we do not have the details of that for purposes of today's meeting uh, because we, we were focused you at on all. Uh, Advocate Mshuri? Yes, yes, Advocate. Honorable Chair. Hello? Advocate Mtebe. Honorable Chair. Um, can, yes, can you start again on the issue of the state attorneys? I think we lost you there. Oh. The question asked by Honorable Chair, an update yes. on the issue of the state attorneys. Yeah. Uh, I said, uh, Honorable Chair, we, we did present to the honorable members uh, earlier in the year on the status of the Office of the State Attorney Investigations. So we, for purposes of this meeting, because we're focusing mainly on strategy and the APP, we didn't prepare on specific cases updates. But there we can assure the members that uh, since we presented, there has been progress made uh, and, and, and we would plead with the committee that uh, should the committee permit, we can present uh, at, at an appropriate time to indicate what the, what the progress has been. We have, we have made sure that the culprits, the lawyers that are culprits in this case, are uh, uh, dealt with in terms of uh, civil litigation. Uh, there's various cases in the last week where lawyers were even uh, demanding to the Eastern Cape Department of Health the payments. And we have said to the department, they must stop that payment and we will go to court to get the appropriate orders and we, uh, we must make sure that they are attended to uh, criminally. So, so we are making sure that all the culprits that have been identified in our investigations are dealt with. Um, Honorable Jelle, you mentioned that uh, in our presentation, we, we do take into account the external environment. And we do take into account various reports, uh, either by uh, Transparency International, Auditor General, um, and uh, those other institutions uh, that do, do research. Uh, the, the consensus that we have seen as we do the research is that, yes, the public is still concerned that corruption is not, uh, is not going down. Uh, so, the question, the specific question by the honorable member is, why is it not going down? Um, so so for the, 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 the role that we can really play, and our strategy uh, includes that. We would like to make sure that, uh, because we have observed that lack of consequence management is a, it, it's an issue. Um, and, and I mean consequence management in its generic sense. Uh, failure to prosecute, failure to hold disciplinary processes, and now also um, uh, the, the failure to recover. We have put in place measures, and I know that our colleagues at NPA are working very hard to make sure that we prosecute. We have also uh, put in place measures that we can start to, to monitor whether the state institutions are taking uh, measures or disciplinary actions and firing these people who are who are responsible and accountable. So I think on the whole, it's really a matter of uh, consequence management from our side. But corruption, I think it's it's uh, well. This is just my personal view from making having made a research 
is that uh, it, it really, really requires a concerted effort amongst the law enforcement and that uh, the issue of greed out there, whether it's private sector or, or public sector, it's really something that we need to demonstrate that those who are accountable will be held accountable. Uh, failure to do that, we will then continue to see what the public calls uh, impunity. So if we deal with the issue around impunity, we should then see the result uh, of the, of, of the uh, uh, corruption possibly uh, uh, beginning to, 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 to go down. Uh, Honorable Jelly, you mentioned the, uh, the issue around COCTA uh, committee. I didn't follow the proceedings, but all I can report to the committee is that we're working with COCTA uh, to establish what we did and we see that it's working in the health sector space. Uh, we, in the health sector, we established a health sector anti-corruption forum uh, which the president launched uh, last year in October, we are seeing results of that focused approach on the sector. So we are wanting to do the same when it comes to the uh, municipal space, uh, local government. So we've already uh, started a process uh, which COCTA uh, has, uh, has really bought into. Uh, we just need to make sure that uh, uh, it's presented uh, appropriately to the minister and make sure that uh, we've already presented to Salga. Salga has supported that. We'd like to make sure that uh, we it, it's implemented. So, um, Honorable Chair, the issue around commissions uh, that Honorable Jella mentions, we are noting it in our, in our strategic report or in, in the strategic document. We are not proposing more commissions. All we are saying is that we have to look on the outcomes of these commissions. Uh, for example, there might be cases that are coming which would be referred to uh, law enforcement agencies, to SIU. Uh, so we need to make sure that uh, we are ready to deal with those matters. Um, the issue around dealing with uh, vulnerable, vulnerable uh, uh, groups. Uh, there's a research that has been made, and I think uh, Honorable Jella mentioned it so well, that, uh, you know, corruption obviously impacts on the families. It, it impacts on the communities, and the vulnerables being women, children, they find themselves in the, in, in the receiving end. So, so the more we deal with, uh, with corruption uh, as a country and probably as a world, uh, we will begin to see uh, the vulnerable members uh, really being being protected. But uh, as we deal with the allegations, whether they are reported uh, by uh, vulnerable uh, people or, or any other uh, member of the public, we really ensure that we make sure that they are uh, addressed and addressed effectively and as quickly as is possible. Uh, monies owed by state institution, Jefferson, as I said, I need to uh, make a note that the, the CFO can address that. The issue around unavailability of officers at the tribunal, I think uh, this one, Chair, the, 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 the judges that have been appointed, they are also serving in the high courts. So, so what has happened now is that uh, 
and, and I, if I can just mention an example of Gauteng. Judge President Mlambo has now, uh, I think in conjunction with the tribunal president, has now released you know, those judges that have been allocated to the tribunal so that they can serve the tribunal. But I know, and perhaps the deputy minister could be aware, that uh, once those members are released, the judge president now, they want to appoint people to act and so on. But obviously that's the matter that they are, that they are addressing. Uh, I'd like to pause here, Honorable Chair, with your permission, so that uh, the CFO could address the issue around the, um, the monies owed by, by state institutions. Thank you, Chair. Um, Honorable Breitenbach and, and members, the, uh, we have been able to make, to make some inroads in terms of the recovery during the 2019-20 financial year. Um, whilst, we, whilst we believe the longer term solution is still to review the funding model, and in this regard we've done research and we've given our inputs to Treasury, we were about to have a joint workshop to discuss it with Treasury and the uh, Department of Justice. Uh, but then COVID came, so we'll, uh, after lockdown or even during lockdown, we'll, we'll re-engage with them. That's the longer term solution. But in the short term, what we've been able to do, um, in the previous year, the, the outstanding debt was in the region of about 500 million. Um, at 31 March 2020, it was 418 million. So we were able to recover during the year an amount of 355 million in cash. Yeah and we've invoiced 279. It means we've, we've recovered much more than what we've invoiced, obviously out of the historic debt. So the, we are making inroads there. The challenging um, sphere of government is still on local government. Um, we're finding that problematic on the other, on the others uh, we've, we've, we're making inroads, but the, the, the mostly problematic area is still the local governments, the municipalities. Thank you, Chair. Uh, honorable Chair and Honorable Members, uh, uh, I think we, we, we will pause here and see if uh, uh, possibly we have missed any question, but I think we have addressed all the questions that have come up. The issue of the performance management system. Oh, I see. Oh, uh, apologies about that. Um, uh, Chair, we, we as, as we reported before, uh, and I think we've submitted a report which the portfolio committee requested in terms of the timelines of how is it that we're going to improve on our performance management system. Uh, uh, the, the question that the Honorable Chair asked is what was happening before? Uh, the, 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 the units had a, a performance management system uh, which uh, it's, it's really not output based. Uh, although it does give some sense of how employees perform, but we are not really able to, to, to manage, you know, um, failure to perform appropriately because there are no performance agreements with the, with the, with the employees. So that has been the case uh, throughout the life of SIU. So now we have now implemented that process, and that's why the human capital uh, colleague says, we have engaged the trade union ad nauseum. We have engaged them quite at length. We are beyond that now. We are now uh, implementing on, uh, based on the timelines that we have submitted to the committee. So now, 
what we have said is that as exco we need to be exemplary uh, now what exco has done uh, is to now uh, draft the uh, performance operational plans of their business units because those performance operational plans will really will just be converted to performance agreements but for now we would use those performance uh, agreements plans for the units to to measure the performance of each and every executive so now and we are demonstrating that to the overall employees that this is how we are going to operate will cascade those plans down and they will be converted into performance agreements. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Um, Honorable Nivot Drachens. Yes, Chair, if you can allow me. Um, I left out one question with regard to slide number 12. I see the, um, the last column at the end, the invoices that have not been paid, the invoices not paid, 106 million. I'm just curious um, then with the, those not paid on time, um, has that money been paid now? Has the amount been reduced? Um, that's the only question. Thank you, Chair. Can you repeat your Can you repeat your question, Honourable Newwood Drachens? Okay, this is the external one. Okay, on slide number 12, slide 12, um, the last block there where it says invoices not paid, okay. not paid on time, is it 106 million. Now I just want to know right now, has that amount been reduced or is it still the same? Uh, can we respond, Chair? Now, before you respond, um, Honorable Horn had uh, a connecting problem. He would like now to ask his questions, Honorable Horn. We can't hear. Honorable Horn? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Can Honorable Horn unmute, please? No, we can't hear. I, yeah, we can't hear. You can proceed. You can ask, answer the question asked by Honorable Newbot Rachens. Okay. Uh, Honorable Chair, uh, slide number 12, as you can see, uh, it's still the situation in the strategic document where we are doing a situational analysis. And, and as, as I said, we do take into account what the Auditor General says. Uh, so that that slide number 12, it's still around what we have seen the Auditor General reporting. Uh, it's not, it's not our, our internal environment. That is not our invoices not paid. 
So the Auditor General has indicated that in their report that they are seeing around 11%, and this is the uh, around PFMA. Uh, this would probably exclude municipalities. They are saying they've they've realised that about 11%, which which translates to 106 million invoices claims not paid on time. So so that's what we have observed. Whether we can come in there as SIU. Um, uh, it's 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 really not clear unless it's a unless it's a result of uh, maladministration malpractice then we can then we can come in but just in brief that is not our invoices uh, unpaid that is generally the observation of the auditor general thank you chairperson thank you very much um I think for the last time, let, let us check uh, whether Honorable Horn is available. Honorable Horn? Can you hear me, Chair? Yeah. I think we have lost him. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Hello? Hello? Okay. Yes. Hello? Yes. Yeah, yeah thank you. I, I, I just want to uh, pick up on one issue that has been addressed, and that's the issue of the involvement of the SIU with the emergency procurement du during COVID-19. Uh, on, on slide 22, mention is made of, of this being done through the anti-corruption task team. And in the presentation, Mr. Mutibi told us that uh, the SIU, the NPA, and the Hawks come together and then it was decided that due to the specific capabilities of the SIU, it would be the vehicle to deal with this. Uh, Chair, and, and, and this uh, is worrying in the sense that historically the SIU have obviously assisted with recuperating money that's lost through corruption um, and, and in certain cases even maladministration. Uh, and, and we can't have that during COVID-19. We don't know for how long, for example, food relief <clears throat> will have to continue. Um, and, and, and then if there is corruption in the pr procurement and the distribution of food relief, obviously what we need is more immediate uh, action. So... I want to, to, to hear whether the ACTT has, has really met. Colleagues would recall that just prior to, to the lockdown and the uh, parliament uh, rising for the initial hard lockdown, we had a meeting with the NPA where they informed that, that us that, as a matter of fact, the ACTT is non-functional. And now from the responses with the greatest of respect, I get the sense that, that yes, there's sort of an informal, a pre uh, uh, authorization investigation going on, but I don't think that will be serving suffering South Africans out there who need immediate action to stop where corruption is going on um, um, and to get a proper, uh, so that we can ensure proper value for money for where the public purse is, is funding uh, food parcels specifically. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh did you understand that, Honourable Mutibi? Yes, yes, Honourable, Honourable Chair, we, uh, I understood the question. Uh, Honourable Hon, thanks for that question. Um, 
we uh, the, the issue around historically and i think this is probably what our colleagues in the npa were alluding to historically yes there has been some inefficiencies that we observed in terms of the effectiveness of ACTT, but we have gone into uh, strategic planning uh, in terms of how is it that we improve, how the ACTT improves. Uh, so uh, what have we done? Uh, in terms of the specifically around COVID-19 now, uh, and we understand that the speed of action is very important. So our strategy when we met as ACTT, uh, is divided into criminal is, and civil and uh, disciplinary disciplinary process. No, your line is. Hello. Your line is very bad. Your uh, line is. Bad. Honorable check, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Uh, what I was saying is that uh, with the w w when the ACTT met recently. Uh, we have now coined a strategy that would just make sure that we further improve on our integrated approach. And the strategy is divided into three. And now uh, it, it's into criminal, civil, and where there's a need to uh, effectively action the disciplinary process. Now, on the criminals, uh, we have agreed that uh, when matters are reported to us, and we do not have a proclamation that's covering those matters as yet. Those matters should be immediately addressed through the HOCS process. So the HOCS will immediately register a case and they will immediately investigate that matter. We've got an example that we can cite uh, that we are dealing with HOCS on that, but they also receive matters in their own right. So on our side, if we receive those matters and we are satisfied that they can be appropriately dealt with speedily uh, by the hawks and we refer them to us. Uh, so we have created what we call fusion center. And I'm sure our colleagues when they, uh, in NPA, when they appear, they will repeat this. The fusion center is a center that enables all of us to sit, we receive these matters, and we immediately allocate to the party or the agency that will address them uh, quickly. So the issue of food parcels, the, so, so when it comes to uh, our mandate, because we also take into account the mandates of the various agencies. Uh, if assuming we have got a, a, a proclamation, because we are pursuing a, a national proclamation to deal with uh, uh, COVID-19 matters. If we do receive matters under that proclamation and we, are, we, 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 we detect criminality, so what we have agreed there, uh, our legislation say we must refer to NPA. We will still refer to NPA, but we will refer to the Hawks at the same time, uh, just so that the case is registered and we will connectively make sure that there's no overlap. That matter should be addressed and addressed as quickly as possible. Now, the other agreement we've reached is that when the Hawks themselves investigate a, say for example, a procurement matter, if they come across a procurement matter and they are of the view that a contract has been entered into irregularly. What I have asked, and this has been the, 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 the historical picture, I have said my observation is that when the Hawks investigate a procurement matter and they make a finding that a contract has been entered into irregularly, they move on with the criminal matter and the civil matter is left to the state institution consent. 
say a municipality and so on. And that is when it gets lost. It doesn't get addressed. So the new approach is that when they a, a civil matter like that, where a contract needs to be cancelled, a contract needs to be set aside, then that matter has also to be referred to SIU as quickly as possible so that we optimize the use of the special And by the way, uh, during the criminal process, the NPA has also agreed that they have also members that are sitting at this fusion center that we talk about. Uh, these cases are supported, uh, what uh, they call it prosecutor-led, uh, so that there is no delay uh, when it comes to the prosecution ultimately. So we believe that we have put in place a framework that will allow us to, to act and, and, and respond quickly to these matters. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Advocate Mtibi and your team. Um, I think we were betrayed a lot by our IT, our IT system. Um, quite obviously, we would need to interact more on some of these issues. Um, we still owe you a meeting um, that we promised that uh, we will organize a meeting between yourselves and the MPA. And the MPA, yes to get an update uh, on the on this issue of the state attorney's uh, investigation state attorney's office uh, investigations um, we will yes we will organize that meeting immediately after we are done with the budget vote budget votes i think okay. it will be around soon um, thank you very much for the work that you are doing um, we know that uh, there will be a lot of challenges ahead as we are trying as to clean government and to clean our society, there will be a lot of challenges ahead and it will put a lot of pressure on you, but we think that you are up to the task. But Thank we you. Think Thank that, you, yes, we are, you are up to the task and as a committee will support you to ensure that you recoup as much money as possible. Thank you very much for the briefing. Thank you very much, Honorable um, Chairman. Honorable members, uh, we will uh, adjourn for five minutes. Uh, so that after that we can start with uh, South African Human Rights Commission. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Honorable members, we are adjourned until 10 to 2. We will start with the Human Rights Commission at 10 to 2. Thank you. Uh, let me welcome Professor Majola and his team. Uh,
Um, we are meeting to consider the strat plan, the APPs, and the budget of the South African Human Rights Commission. I will ask Professor Matola to introduce his team. Prof, can you hear me? Prof? Hi, Chair, I want you to Oh. Hello. I guess I'm here. Okay. Let me tell them. Hi, Chair. Hello. Uh, Professor Majola says he's speaking, but I guess you can't hear him. So maybe there's a problem uh, somewhere. Oh, he's there now. I can see his face. Okay. Okay. Professor Machola, welcome. We can't got get hold of him. Committee secretary, can you assist? Can we attend for two minutes whilst I was trying to sort out this issue? Okay. Hi, yes, Chair. I'm trying to speak to him and as well as his office manager. So uh, we'll try again. But he was he just appeared now briefly and then he disappeared. Thank you.
Ay, sí. Sí. I'm trying to, I, I, I might be having the same problem as you, as you have. Um, see, see, see. The Tibanyan. Uh, who is the technician on your part? Okay. Um, uh, chairperson of the Portfolio Committee and Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Uh, greetings. Uh, just, from the... just before you just before you proceed, um, we will allocate to 25 minutes and reserve the other five minutes for the chair when he joins us. Okay. Thank Cheers. you. Good afternoon, Commissioner Mirbia here from. I just joined in now as well. CEO. Um, uh, thank apologies. you. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, uh, Chairperson, uh, on behalf of the commission, the commissioners, and colleagues from the Human Rights Commission, uh, it's a pleasure to be before you once more to present uh, our strategic plan and annual performance plan. 2020 um, uh, Our presentation uh, is before you on the uh, spot there. And uh, so I'll quickly go into the uh, our strategic plan and then uh, the annual uh, performance plan. Uh, the presentation from the secretariat will be shared in by three colleagues. I'll present the, the strategic plan. And then uh, uh, my uh, office manager in terms of in charge of strategic and governance, will uh, briefly take us through uh, the COVID-19 guideline uh, work of the commission. And then our acting CFO will present uh, the budget in the 25 minutes allocated to us. So uh, I'll quickly then go straight into um, the slide um, number six, which uh, basically gives an overview of our strategic plan. And for the next five years, we have decided to agree on these eight uh, strategic uh, uh, priority areas for the Commission, uh, which will then inform how we execute uh, the mandate of the Commission. The first one is uh, pro-human rights budgeting because we are also concerned you know, as to how budgets are allocated and spent. And therefore, we think that we should influence uh, you know, to ensure that there is a focus on, on, on the human rights aspects on that. Second one is good governance and anti-corruption. Uh, we are also concerned as a commission that, you know, issues of good governance, issues of bad governance or poor governance and corruption do undermine uh, human rights and therefore an issue which we have to focus upon. Sorry, CEO. Can people mute their mics? There is a background noise that you are hearing. Can you please mute your mics? And only as the speaker will be allowed to, to speak. You can proceed. Thank you, Chair. And then number three is, of course, the usual work of the Commission on health, for education, human settlement, water and sanitation, right to land, environment. And you are aware, uh, honorable members, that uh, as from uh, last year, we're then given a new mandate to focus on the, the operationalization of the, of the optional protocol against torture. And therefore, the Human Rights Commission has been designated the role of being a coordinator of the uh, the NPM as well as playing a, a, a role there in terms of monitoring. 
Now, uh, next slide, uh, uh, Chairperson and Honorable Members, is just to highlight that, you know, over and above uh, the, the strategic priorities of the Commission, we then have uh, these seven areas which you call transversal, transverse, transversal issues, which will then cut across all our uh, priority areas and inform uh, the work of the Commission in all aspects. That is issues of equality, children, gender, disability, older persons, migrants, and of course, the role of business and its impact uh, on, on human rights. Then, um, as far then as our three mandates uh, of the Human Rights Commission, the promotion mandate, the protection mandate, and the monitoring mandate, this is how then we are planning uh, over the next five years to, uh, to execute uh, those priority areas as well as the transversal issues in terms of this uh, mandate. So under the promotion mandate, this is what uh, will then be working on to ensure that you know we do uh, carry out uh, this um, strategic uh, objectives of the commission uh, trying of course to continuously work on how we can then influence uh, legislation policy as well as issues of service delivery um, aspects and of course the second one is to strengthen uh, partnerships and collaborations uh, with our fellow chapter institutions but also all uh, necessary uh, uh, stakeholders uh, state entities as well as civil society and everything else. Number three is to also to look much more closely into how we can empower communities to proactively engage with human rights issues. And the chair will recall that we have been involved in the Moot Court uh, competition, where South Africa actually won the international Moot Court in Poland. So as part of uh, empowering communities, because we believe that the advancement of human rights in our country can only be sustainable if there is a greater uh, involvement and participation of all of us as South Africans in uh, living to those ideals in our constitution. Of course, number four is also our media platforms. I'm sure the members of the committee are quite aware we've been very, very active in communicating our messages uh, through uh, uh, the media uh, and, and other uh, platforms. <clears throat> then when you come to the protection mandate, which is now uh, slide number nine, Basically, we also want to focus a little bit more on uh, strategic, strategic impact litigation because, you know, we also need to send a very clear message to everyone that, you know, uh, violating human rights uh, does pay, uh, does not pay. And therefore, if we basically uh, enhance our impact, on, if we enhance our work on strategic impact litigation, we'll actually be trying to help in a much uh, deeper manner uh, the advancement of human rights, and therefore be very, very decisive uh, and uh, in how we ex actually exercise this mandate by targeting issues which will, which will have a, a much longer term and bigger impact as far as advancing the protection of human rights. And then, of course, uh, we should also enhance how we proactively uh, engage uh, with human rights issues. Uh, the committee will recall our work in Alexander, our inquiry in uh, the Val. So these are examples of how the Commission on its own decides to be more, more proactive in giving effect to our mandate. And of course, the issues of dispute resolution and mediation would also help. And of course, we will be releasing our report uh, soon on, uh, on our work on how we've been dealing uh, with complaints uh, which we have received. The number has increased, or the number of complaints which the Commission has been uh, getting. And then when it comes to the issues of monitoring, that's our third uh, mandate, Again, we, you know, we've decided that, you know, over the next five years, we really need to improve 
our human rights monitoring system. You know, we've got a very important mandate, but at the same time, we've got a huge uh, uh, a focus area in how we can deal with this. And we've been battling uh, in that regard. So we will spend some time trying to see how we can make this monitoring of human rights much more effective so that we can then be able to advise government, but also make necessary interventions where it matters. So this will be focusing around issues of equality, economic and social rights, as well as civil and political rights. And of course, uh, Chairperson, we need to bear in mind that there are still gaps as far as the Quality Act is concerned. The Chapter 5, the, the promotion mandate of the Quality Act has not, has not, yet, been, has not yet come into operation. So the, the mandate of the Commission to submit an annual report on issues of equality, gender and disability is still a bit lacking on that. But we are still you know, going ahead despite the fact that that section has not yet come into operation. Then, of course, we also have an international mandate in terms of Section 13, where we are required to monitor how our government uh, gives this fact to its international uh, uh, obligations, and therefore issues around children, issues of disability, and of course, the opcat now is another mandate. So we also want to strengthen uh, this to ensure that you know we also do this more effectively, but also help government to ensure that we do meet our international human rights obligations uh, effectively. It's a bit embarrassing for us when we were in, in Geneva last year, where the Committee Against Torture basically raised concerns about you know how we as a country still continue to have high levels of incidence of torture in our country, despite. Uh, Section 12 of our constitution, which actually prohibits uh, torture, cruel and inhuman uh, uh, punishment. Then, uh, of course, we'll also try under, under three to continuously then have reports and advise government on, on issues of, of human rights and therefore produce uh, reports uh, to this effect. And then, uh, Chair, uh, to basically give effect to our mandate, we also need a very, very strong uh, and effective infrastructure or supporting structure. That's slide number 11. So issues of, of governance and leadership are going to be very important in the organization uh, chair to ensure that the commission remains a viable and effective organization. We've seen in the last 24 years uh, the negative impact of uh, poor governance and poor leadership, not only in our institutions, we can see what is happening in ESCOM and in many other state-owned institutions, that this issue is very vital if we are going to continue effectively give effect uh, to the mandate and the ideals of our people in the country as far as our constitution provided. Secondly, the issue of financial viability and sustainability is also very important. How effectively we use our resources and we don't waste them, especially in these difficult times where the country is really having serious uh, problems of high debt. And now with COVID-19, a lot of money will be required. The issue of human capital management is also very important. We need to make sure that our, our staff members are uh, well capacitated, but also they're taken care of because at the end of the day, that is the engine of this commission. Uh, we are largely a human resource driven organization, so we need to make sure that we do have a very strong uh, uh, human capital systems in the organization. And number four is basically, again, uh, another issue for us, which has been of a concern to us, how we monitor and evaluate our work. We need to have strong mechanisms which can actually tell us, you know, to what extent are we really uh, adding value in, in, in the country as far as the promotion of human rights are concerned. Number five is information and communication technology. It's very important, especially at this point in time. And Chair, I need to highlight that, you know, due to the preparations we were able, able to make on time, we've been able to work remotely as a human rights commission uh, through soft, software technology, and we meet 
and uh, we we have been very active uh, and i think the whole country is aware of the work we've been doing under COVID-19. So it's actually quite important for us to strengthen this capacity. That's why we've taken the decision that we'll employ a chief information officer to ensure that the commission, you know, moves in the right track. And I think in March, yeah, in March this year, we actually had a conference on uh, on, on human rights and the impact uh, of the, the fourth industrial revolution. The report will be coming out very soon so that it will actually help us to be able to engage and, and be more effective in how we use new technologies to advance the work of the community. Uh, Chair, then I'll then hand over to uh, Sia very quickly to talk about our plans around uh, how we respond to COVID-19. Thank you. Thank you, CEO, and good afternoon, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Committee members. If we move on to slide number 13, With the declaration of the state of disaster in our country, actually carries huge human rights implications, as well as necessitates a review of our plans as we seek to address whatever limitations that may be imposed by this situation of disaster. But also for us becomes important as a human rights institution to ensure that we actually engage and advise government on some of these implications so that this process is well managed and is actually centered around human rights, but also the upholding of the values enshrined in our constitution as much as we deal uh, with the disaster. And therefore, in response, as the commission, we have then prepared ourselves and established a NEF center that will manage and direct any urgent human rights matters that may then arise during uh, these uh, challenges presented by this pandemic. We have additionally developed and are implementing uh, guidelines in response, and these entail and include an internal protocol that ensures that effective and efficient working arrangements continue and at the center of those arrangements would be ensuring the safety and wellness of our employees, but also ensuring that the remote working arrangements are actually effective so that we're able to still continue to deliver on our mandate of ensuring that rights are protected, ensure that we're able to promote and also to monitor. We've issued working tools in this regard, ensured that our staff who are meant to be out in the field do have the necessary working tools so that our work can continue and do have a protective gear, which we have supplied and continue to supply. The guideline, our guideline also in, in includes, therefore, an element of how our strategic approach is now to ensure that we intervene appropriately in terms of the human rights issues that are arising, and we intervene and respond uh, appropriately so. It therefore guides us and actually complements our strategic plan and annual performance plan. In addition, we've also saw the need that in order to ensure that we are able to reach across issues that may arise across areas, we've then used the provisions provided in our South African Human Rights Commission Act in terms of Section 11 of our Act. We've established a Section 11 Committee on COVID-19, which consists of more than 400 civil society organizations, 
that act as monitors nationwide to work with us and alert us to any arising uh, human rights challenges and work together to seek to resolve them and engage uh, with government on that basis. In terms of just briefly our interventions on slide 14 across our mandate areas, in terms of our promotion mandate, we have and continue to disseminate uh, relevant uh, material in order to raise awareness of rights in situations of this nature, but also responsibilities and, 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 and making sure that even the public is aware of the regulations and the meaning of the regulations that are being issued uh, by government so that we can all work together to ensure that we can beat uh, this pandemic. In terms of protection, we continuously are addressing specific complaints that arise, uh, co complaints that are directly related to the implementation of the regulations. In the period since the beginning of the lockdown up to, I think, the end of last week, 8th of May, we had registered in excess of 200 complaints directly related uh, to COVID-19. And on these, we continuously engage with the National Command Center and strategic stakeholders to ensure that the protection of rights uh, is promoted. Around monitoring, we continue to monitor in many different ways, including remotely through media and civil society reports, through assessing uh, legislative frameworks and regulations, but also through physical monitoring where feasible, where our staff is able to, to be out there without uh, necessarily exposing themselves to uh, dangerous situations in terms of the pandemic. Just some of the areas that we've observed arising areas of concern um, as a result of the implementation of the, the, the state of disaster and the lockdown. I think the, the pandemic has actually gave sharp focus to the key challenges uh, facing our country, which we have uh, noted earlier to say the key challenges that also underpin our, our own strategy. The issues of inequalities in our country have been given sharp focus uh, by the existence of this pandemic to us. Issues of access to various uh, services and facilities, I mean, in terms of healthcare, we wonder the extent and adequacy of provision of healthcare to COVID-19 patients, but also to those who may not necessarily be related to, to COVID-19. General access to healthcare by patients, how is, how is it affected by this situation or how will it be affected and how ready is our state to, to deal and address these challenges? Issues of human settlements and homelessness has come up. We've dealt with a few cases and issues around evictions I mean, we've dealt with key, key cases, uh, I think, both in Gauteng and the Western Cape, particularly, where we've dealt with uh, matters in relation to how um, homeless people are being catered for. The issue of water and sanitation countrywide is a huge problem and challenge. We will note that this has been a challenge even before we had um, the issues of the pandemic. That has been given sharp focus as well. But we do note the efforts in terms of the provision of water and sanitation services. But we're continuously monitoring, and there are very active uh, kind of cases that are coming up around the, 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 the state of water and sanitation across the country, across certain communities, especially marginalized communities. The access to education as well as the right to education has been negatively affected by this pandemic. As we all know, uh, schools had to be closed. But what we need to ensure is 
the recovery plans in terms of ensuring that we can catch up around and ensure that the right to education is not uh, violated, to ensure that there is equitable access to this right as we implement uh, those catch-up plans. The issue of the right to food, we've also seen, as we know, the, the poverty, the poverty, uh, uh, um, the right to food in order to ensure that those who live in poverty are provided for has been one of the key issues that we've come across and the equitable distribution of food to communities is a big issue. We note also that there have been reports around uh, some corrupt activities where the delivery of food parcels is concerned. And I think this links back to really our our strategic issues that we've identified to focus on, as the CEO indicated, the issue of good governance and, 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 and corruption and human rights and the impacts thereof. Economic impact uh, need, need not be overemphasized. We note the impact of the lockdown on the economic opportunities, the issue of salaries, the issues of debt and social relief, there's job losses, massive job losses, over a million job losses we've had uh, just recently, and the issue of growth in general and, and, and the downgrades of our economy. So these are issues that are going to have a very, very negative impact on human rights uh, in our country. The impact on vulnerable groups as identified as well. This is a focus for us in terms of the cross-cutting issues. So if you look at all the issues above, they will always have a particular impact on marginalized and vulnerable groups, including uh, all those groups, children, older persons, persons with disabilities, and migrants. So we have to, to look out for issues of non, uh, rather of discrimination or non-discrimination against uh, these groups and how these groups can be better catered for. Left is five minutes. Issues of physical uh, security and dignity noted, Chair. Uh, wrap up on the last slide. If we move on to the very last slide, we just note therefore that as we are intervening in terms of our response to the COVID pandemic, we're also in the process of assessing what impact our interventions having and making, and we will integrate this into our normal institutional uh, reporting processes. We also note to the, to, to the committee that therefore this will have an impact in terms of our plans, strategies going forward, and annual plan. And we may have to then re-engage with the committee in terms of what exactly we've done around COVID issues. Thanks, we will then hand over to the budget presentation by our ECNCF board. Thank you. Um, Honorable Chair, Honorable Committee members, good afternoon. We'll start directly on slide 18 for the budget overview for the year 2020-21. Thank you. The National Treasury grant expected for this year is 200,1 million rand. There's some other income that is also expected to be received throughout the year, which is made up of interest income of 500,000, rental income from the subletting of one of the floors that we are in the building that we're currently renting, and that'll add up to about 3.98 million. We also have the, the surplus rollover that we had permission to retain from the 2018-19 financial year of 9.1 million. This brings us our total revenue expectation for the year of 213.7 million. Um, 
Commencing in the 2018-19 financial year, cost containment measures implemented are still ongoing and being carried forward into the 2021 year as well. These include the, the retention of those posts that are already frozen, will remain free, frozen in the vacant positions of non-core um, non positions. We're reviewing the, the Commission's organisational structure to ensure effectiveness of personnel resources and also the sublease of, of the portion of the head office space. As, as um, indicated, this is a whole entire floor that we will manage to sublet out. On the next slide, um, on slide 19, this merely offers a summary of the budget allocation for the year, for the 2021 year. We can move on, due to time constraints, on slide 20. We, we can see that, as usual, the significant portion of the budget of 140 million is allocated to cover personnel costs. The percentage to total revenue received is down over last year. Last year, we had 69% of personnel costs budgeted for, and this year, we see it's coming in at 66%. The next biggest spend is then um, allocated on the corporate support committed costs, which obviously the highest portion of that is the money allocated to the office rentals and municipal charges. Under this, we also have supply chain. We have the RT costs, the infrastructure and contract related costs, the AG fees for the year, and then also human resources related costs. Um, this, this covers all the capacity to development, the employee um, wellness programs, and this assistance and recruitment. The balance of the budget then is allocated to the core operations of the institution. If we go to the next slide, slide 22, uh, slide, sorry, slide 21. So the following slides provide a summary of the budget allocations per program and then broken down further per the underlying business units. I think we'll, we'll stop there and allow for the chairperson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, chairperson, you have five minutes. Chair, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, th thank you, Chairperson. Uh, once more, I apologize for the uh, te technical problems. Um, mine is going to be quite brief. Uh, first of all, just to thank you and the members of the committee for giving us this opportunity to come and, and, and address you. Uh, these are very um, uh, unusual times and we would like to, uh, as commissioners and staff, wish you uh, good health and um, uh, safety uh, during this time. Um, we, I mean, a lot has been said. <clears throat> what I'd just like to, to highlight is that uh, we as the commission see see that in addition to the work that we have uh, planned for, the, um, the COVID-19 pandemic seems to be highlighting 
the fact that there is actually quite a lot more work that we still need to do. Uh, Mr. Sia Sanga has actually referred to some of the issues that have been highlighted by the pandemic, which needs the, um, the attention of, of the commissioners. Um, we, we see that um, the pandemic is going to have a very far-reaching uh, impact on, on, on human rights, not only in this country, but in many other countries in the, in the whole world. And we need, therefore, to, to, to be ready to meet that challenge. Um, what I would like to say is that we are, we are really uh, geared up to meeting the challenge, but um, we have had problems of capacity, chairperson, and recently we, our worry has actually increased because we were told yesterday that uh, there is going to be a significant cut in the budget of the Commission. And we think that that is going to really de debilitate uh, the, the, the Commission in uh, doing the work that is in the uh, annual performance plan and in, this, in the strategy plan, unless uh, something is done to maybe reduce the level of, of the cut. Our, our budget is only uh, 200 million, and uh, uh, if something like between 30 and 40 million is cut, it, 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 it's a big cut for, for our purposes. However, we're trying to take this matter up with the government as, as much as we can, but we thought we should uh, highlight it uh, to you. Um, Mr. Siasanga has said also that uh, we, we are now quite constrained in the way we are working and we have therefore to find new ways of doing our work and some of those ways involve technology and so on and expenses that we, we really didn't anticipate we would need to, to, to enter into. But it's an exciting period because I think that it is uh, challenging us to, um, to, to promote human rights, to protect human rights and to observe the and assess the observance of human rights in a in a, a slightly different way, we we therefore um, like to say thank you very much for continued support from yourself and from the members of of the committee. I won't want to take too too long uh, because of time, but uh, thank you very much. Your support has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Prof. Um, I will now give this opportunity to members to ask questions. Uh, Chair, Dennis, I'd like to ask questions. Yes, uh, uh, and make comments. Um, I have the following members uh, who have who have asked to ask questions: Honourable James Self, Honourable Nivot Drachens. Um, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming, Honorable Mohammed, uh, Honorable Horn, Honorable Mufuking, Honorable Mohammed, Honorable Glenis Breitenbach. And Swart, please. Okay. Honorable Swart, Honorable Swart, in that order. Honorable James, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, I'd really like to ask two questions, if I may. The first concerns the OPCAT, the op op optional um, uh, convention on against torture, 
and the Human Rights Commission has been allocated the job of being the national preventative mechanism. I would like to get some information about how the Human Rights Commission goes about uh, its responsibilities in terms of OPCAT, and specifically, as many of the alleged torture occurs in our correctional centres, what mechanisms they are adopting to uh, to synchronise their services with that, that of the inspecting mm-hmm. judge and the uh, independent correctional service uh, centres visitors. So a little bit more detail on that, please. And then on slide 13, um, one is referred to uh, a Section 11 committee on COVID-19 with more than 400 civil society monitors. Now, I have read Section 11 quite carefully, and I don't see any mention in Section 11 of a monitor. Uh, uh, And I would like to know who are these monitors, on what basis were they selected, because we select uh, members of the Human Rights Commission with great care Uh, And yet there are 400 people who would appear to do the work of the Human Rights Commission on their behalf. Uh, And in that respect, I would like to know what powers, if any, do they have in terms of subsection 4A and what functions do they perform in terms of subsection 4B of section 11? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, Honourable Nivot Trachans. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you, Honourable Chairperson, and thank you very much to the Human Rights Commission for your presentation. My apologies, I do have to leave soon, um, so maybe my response um, I will not get, but I'll catch up on that later. Just to pose my question. The South African Human Rights Commission, we as the deaf community, we're very happy and proud that our government started from the since of lo- since the start of lockdown lockdown providing sign language interpreters on TV um, when information is is shared with regard to COVID-19 because it is critical that we get access to this information. So we're very happy that we're getting South African sign language interpreters. However, um, people are mocking these sign language interpreters as well as um, South African sign language on social media like on Twitter and Facebook they are mocking South African sign language which is our language and we as the deaf community we feel that they're infringing on our rights um, and our access to information. Um, I'll you know the, the, I'll provide the information later on where that happens on Facebook and Twitter because it really discriminates against our rights. Now, I want to know what can the Human Rights Commission do about that, the way that people are criticising South African Sign Language and the interpreters. So I would really like to ask the South African Human Rights Commission to do something about that. Then my second question or my second point is that the South African Human Rights Commission um, I would like to know if you are involved in the discussions with DBE, um, the Department of Basic Education. 
to make sure that children with disabilities have access to education, whether it be online or on TV, etc. Because currently deaf children are falling way behind. Nobody is interpreting the educational courses that is provided. Nobody is providing access. So what is the Human Rights Commission's involvement in terms of that? And then South African Human Rights Commission is also involved with the IMM. Uh, with regards to access to information. <clears throat> now, what more information can the Human Rights Commission provide with regards to that? And then also on your website, um, are you making, just, just to make sure that that is also accessible to disabled people? And then children during lockdown, um, the children at the youth centres, um, do they have access to the wondering what what access is provided? Okay, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Hon. Thank you. Um, yeah, Jay, um, in respect of um, the Human Rights Commission, I've uh, done a bit of research and it would seem that the um, on the 30th of April they had a webinar regarding human rights and, and COVID-19. Um, and if the Daily Maverick report on the webinar, unfortunately, um, uh, I was not aware of the webinar beforehand, so I couldn't join. But if the Daily Maverick report on the webinar was quite correct, uh, Professor Majola uh, remarked that the Commission came to the conclusion that the limitation of some rights uh, as during the hard lockdown or level five lockdown as we now know it was necessary to deal with a state of disaster. Uh, given that that happened more or less towards the end of the level five lockdown, I would like to get his comments as to whether the Commission is still satisfied that the, the manner in which citizen rights are limited through the level four lockdown, um, that that is still constitutional, specifically given the so-called curfew, even though as the Minister of Justice has informed us, that word's no, nowhere used in, in the regulations, but for all intents and purposes, there's a curfew now for citizens, and, and whether the Commission is satisfied that that um, is a justified limitation. Then, um, secondly, Chair, in respect of the, the monitoring of, of uh, human rights, uh, there's two specific issues which I would like to know whether the Human Rights Commission had, has issued advice to the government and if so, what advice it is. The first is in respect of the uh, Minister of Social Development's uh, it's a decision or directive that only government is now to be uh, tasked with the distribution of food relief. So the, the plan that NGOs, community-based organizations and churches who's been doing this even before COVID must now uh, stop their own actions and 
and work through the governmental program. And I would like to specifically know, given the, the fact that this uh, uh, these programs have been in place, obviously well structured, uh, in the Commission's view, what impact does that have or potentially could have on, on the right to food everyone in South Africa has and whether they've advised government on this issue at all. And then simultaneously regarding the Section 22 rights, we know it's not the focus area of the Commission, but obviously during COVID-19, hopefully all of the rights contained in the Bill of Rights are within their focus. And, and that talks to the freedom of trade, occupation and profession and specifically linked uh, to uh, the issue of poverty. So we know there's still huge scale limitations on the freedom of trade, occupation and profession, and whether the Commission has issued any advice to government regarding uh, the lifting of, of those limitations in order to prevent a further downward slide on the, in the poverty scale. And then lastly, Chair, I would like to know, given the fact that the Commission, as we speak, is still the main custodian of our right to access to information. Um, and given the fact that in a time of limitation of rights, one of the ways in which, which uh, there could be achieved some form of balance would be if citizens are afforded all the relevant information to the decision making in respect of um, uh, of the limitation uh, or in respect of the decisions and the access to information and specifically given the pronouncement by uh, members of government that they deem this information to be secret. So I would like to know whether the, the commission is at least worried by the, by the lack of information and whether they have engaged with government uh, to ensure access to, re to relevant information on behalf of citizens. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Mufuke. Thank you, Chair, and thanks for the presentation. Chair, I want to start on the budget side on slide 21 to check on what is the CEO's uh, special projects. I can see that there's a budget on that. One will be interested in understanding that. Then there's a slide 15, that is a list of all the areas uh, actually that are of concern. And I was wondering that, uh, is it possible that at some stage we can get the detailed reports? Because if a, a person talks about dignity, physical security, it goes back to the question of uh, during lockdown, I need to check on whether the commission has taken a proactive work and if they they did, can they report on the conduct of the police and the South African Defense Force in respect of the human dignity? And the other question will be on the issue of the overcrowded uh, SASA offices across the country on the applications of the grants and the relief fund and all that. Has the commissioner, uh, commission find uh, or monitored on that aspect? And what is it uh, that actually they can actually report on that so that we can understand the state of their monitoring? And I've noticed that there is a challenge on the budget 
And I was asking myself about the uh, the mood, I think, called a uh, competition. This one thing that one has uh, been following on the competition on the promotion of awareness of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Is there any budget that is secured for that? And if there is no vac a, a budget, what is it that they are planning? Because there is also a CEO's uh, project. Maybe it falls under that. I can be clarified. And I want to comment the South African Human Rights Commission on the issue of the human rights advocacy. I think they've been doing work in that capacity on the public awareness. And I noted that uh, there are a number of cases that they were dealing with. But one became very disappointed in the parliamentary office in, in Mamilodi, where I was referred by the advocate, advocate Amir Mia Shafi, that I must communicate with uh, a Buang, I think it's Mr. Buang, and how he responded to our office. It was really, really disappointing for one to say, it doesn't mean if you are a parliamentary office, you get a preference, go and register in the right way. What is the right way that has never been communicated? Because I feel that we are supposed to be working very close with the office and it's one person that we have all noted that has been doing the right work and the right uh, actually participation out there. The last question is on the issue of the children's rights. According to the Child Justice uh, Act 75, children are on awaiting trial are supposed to be seeing the magistrate on 30 days and 14, I think the youth on, 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 on 14 days and the children on 30 days. Now, during lockdown and due to the regulations, what is it that has been done? Because the rights of children are still very important during this time. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh... Honorable Glennis Breitenbach. Honorable Glennis Breitenbach. Um, sorry, I lost you for a moment. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Good. Um, I've been covered, thank you, by the Honorable Horn and the Honorable Mokokin. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Swart. Uh, thank you, Chair, and thank you to the Chairman of the Commission. I am grateful that the Commission gave us an indication of the monitoring of the limitation of rights that we see at the moment. But I do think that understanding your capabilities, uh, that you need to lift your game significantly at this time, particularly as we move from lockdown five, we understood that now we locked down four, lockdown three. And I am very concerned about breaches of human rights that we are seeing. And we saw the United Nations Human Rights Office. They raised concerns about what is going on in South Africa itself. So I would urge you to take stronger action when it comes to breaches. I'm very concerned about law-abiding citizens that are normally law-abiding citizens that are going to sit with criminal records as a result of small breaches of lockdown provisions, such as Musenberg Beach. You had a gentle a person walking, his toddler runs onto the beach, he runs to fetch her, brings her back, and he's arrested. That is ludicrous. And so I appreciate that you've got your monitors that are watching this, but I would urge you to take a much stronger step. 
I would urge you to start using your powers in terms of your act to summons or to request government departments to explain the regulations. You need to be part of the drafting of the regulations. I am shocked when we had the SIU reporting that they weren't included as an essential service. So we are aware that there are challenges in the drafting of, this, of the regulations. You need to be taking a far more active and using your powers at this time. The average South African is looking to you to uphold their human rights, understanding the challenges of COVID-19. Can I say you've mentioned the issues relating to the public health? I'm deeply concerned about tuberculosis patients, HIV patients, and that are not getting food, that are starving, and they're not taking their medication, and there are up to five, more than 500 per day that are dying. That is a, a, a humanitarian crisis that is facing us. So the issue that have been raised by my colleagues about the um, NGOs not being able to give food, that is unacceptable. And you, I would urge you that it could even reach the stage where you call governments to account, you bring reports, and you might want to bring impact legislation on impact litigation on this area. So can I just ask you to respond to the U United Nations Human Rights Office and their concerns about South Africa and what we are doing in that regard? A lot of the issues were covered by the Honourable Horn, but the particular, the data and the modelling on the COVID-19, that that is firstly secret, we're not accessing that, and decisions are being taken, that I think you need to address urgently so that we can, as citizens, get that information. And then I would like you to also consider the, the involvement of the drafting of the regulations as we go down to the number three um, lockdown. I would I would have thought that there was a stronger um, focus from your side when we came to the issues relating to exercise, curfews, um, hot meals, that to me are illogical. And I would urge you to please, and I had COVID-19 for two weeks, I'm healed, and it, I'm over 60, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. So yes, there are people that are struggling. Yes, there are people that will die. But when you compare to the high levels of people on HIV AIDS, on TB that are dying per day and now are being turned away from hospitals because hospital beds are being kept for COVID-19. Chair, this is unacceptable. And it is unacceptable as well, Chairperson of the Justice Committee, that there is even talk of reducing the Human Rights Commission's budget. We must oppose that in the strongest possible way, because how can they do their work on a limited budget when they are the forefront of the protection of our human rights at this stage, and then their budget could be cut by 30 million? That is totally unacceptable. And we, we Parliament, approve the budget. We must oppose that in the strongest possible measures. Chair, thank you. I'm very passionate about this because I see the impact on the ground. And lastly, just this thing about churches and NGOs not being able to give food, that is totally unacceptable. Totally. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Mohammed. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, while I agree with Comrade, uh, I mean, with Honorable Swart about uh, human rights violations, the, the Commission must be careful. We are also not impressed by the DA in the Western Cape, who uh, leadership in particular who encourages and incites people to violate the, the regulations to be tested deliberately. That's breaking the law, and those people who do that must be arrested. Chair, 
because it's got nothing to do with human rights violation. Let me just raise four issues very shortly. The first one is, of course, the capacity of the Human Rights Commission, uh, whether the, the APP reflects any risk to the budget if the budget were to be cut, given the core function, uh, especially during this time. Secondly, Chair, on the handover of the prior responsibilities to the information regulator, we heard the day before yesterday that that is in the APP of the information regulator. Uh, the Human Rights Commission, will this still happen this financial year? If so, uh, when will you be starting with that particular exercise uh, in a form of a memorandum of agreement, which I think you indicated has been signed last year already? Thirdly, Chair, on, on evictions as opposed to land invasion, again, here in the city of Cape Town, we have noticed uh, that there are, there are evictions taking place, and when confronted, uh, we see that the response is that there is land invasion because of unoccupied structures. Now, that's a matter for the Human Rights Commission. I myself have seen in Freyfron just two Fridays ago, where I witnessed 18 structures demolished, of which half of them, or at least, as pr pronounced by the people, they, they were there more than a year ago, and they were certainly occupied, yet they are destroyed. Uh, is the Human Rights Commission aware of these uh, transgressions? by such officials in particular. Thirdly, Chair, on the, uh, or the last one, let me raise the issue of uh, the Commission release an investigation report, which is independently produced by NGOs, uh, entitled Independent Report Submitted to the South African Human Rights Commission Concerning the City of Cape Town's Shelter for Street People. That is a so-called Srandfontein, uh, some people call it a concentration camp. Now, the findings of that report were that the site it is a site of violation of national and international human rights, and the Human Rights Commission has apparently recommended that that site should be closed. Uh, I just want clarity whether that is so, and have the Human Rights Commission brought out their own report? If not, when will that be? And then, lastly, astoundingly, we saw yesterday a press report or statement by the Legal Resource Center, uh, a media statement, where it points out that it is acting for, for the Human Rights Commission against the city of Cape Town, who is seeking an interdict against a Chapter 9 institution such as Human Rights Commission. Can the Human Rights Commission just elaborate and explain to us what is happening there? Because certainly they have a, they have a, a, a mandate, as we just heard earlier at the start, that they do monitor any violation of human rights, uh, which is one of the core functions uh, in this aspect. And, and, and we would like to get clarity, and I'm sure the citizens of this country would want a clarity from the Human Rights Commission, what is happening there. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Jose. Uh, thanks, Chair. Uh, <coughs> Uh, well, uh, I, 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 mine are really comments. Um, the problem is that the focus is obviously the presentation of the commission. But in the process, I think there's been very unfortunate uh, uh, reflections on, on the part of uh, members of parliament. And I, I think it's a... Uh, obligatory on some of our parts to 
uh, to distance ourselves from some of these sentiments. At least the Human Rights Commission must leave this meeting knowing that there are points of differences uh, in relation to some of these issues. But before I get into them, the first one is that I don't hear them saying much about uh, migrants. Um, and in states of disaster, as well as or in relation to basic uh, rights like access to food, our visitors in South Africa who have also been affected by the declaration of the state of disaster. We all know that uh, most of them would mean that they don't have food as well. Uh, and I would, uh, I would like their, their sense in that regard. Is there a special focus to see if uh, government's uh, efforts uh, are also catering um, uh, foreign nationals in South Africa, particularly in poor communities? especially in poor communities. And then the second one is that the, the sort of trick around um, uh, these uh, regulations. You see, at the core of COVID-19 um, is um, social distancing, is that it makes the forms of life that depend on human contact, the very condition of the exposure uh, to 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 the infection. Uh, so when government says so and so can open a mine or so and so can open a factory, um, it seems to me that we we've got to start monitoring from a human rights perspective the obligation of employers not to expose workers uh, to COVID-19. I think that would be a fundamental human rights violation. The very basic right, which is the right to life. Um, what is their thinking around that? Uh, it, it, it's, it's really something that I, I'm, I know that much of, you know, labor laws and occupational health and safety, we sort of push it to the Department of Labor. But isn't it, isn't it a sort of much more important uh, question of human rights now? Uh, that they should seek some collaboration in that regard, in part of what they are doing uh, with uh, uh, interventions on, on COVID-19. The final point is, is my, my fundamental difference. I think that uh, the, the attitude in particular of a number of uh, uh, honorable members belonging to the DA as well as uh, some of these the parties that are resisting the lockdown, um, they are motivated by the fact that they actually don't think the lockdown is necessary. So the mobilization of the Human Rights Commission uh, to, to go out there, do these monitoring processes, is not genuine in my view. It's motivated by the fact that they are mobilizing everything in their power to undermine a general effort to to respond to a human uh, disaster, to a natural disaster. Uh, well, depending on how you characterize it, when they know very well that um, before COVID-19, our society was already suffering from majority of these things that they are talking about. Uh, but it's really petty, it's extremely petty to be holding us at ransom and trying to convince us that a person not being allowed to go to a beach is a human rights violation. It is fundamentally petty. There are much more important 
and uh, fundamental rights at stake here, which is the fundamental right to life. So all of them, they are talking about the rest of the other petty things, but they are willing to accept, for instance, that you can put a limitation on the rights or the freedom to, to gather, uh, the freedoms uh, of demonstrations, for an example. The, what we are fighting for, what we are fighting against, if we all agree that we've got to put up a fight against COVID-19, we all have to assist one another to organize society or reorganize society along the lines of social distancing.